0: Hello and welcome to the official Ideas for Us podcast. Join us on a journey to discover solutions to Earth's most pressing environmental issues by learning from experts and professionals advancing our sustainable future. On today's episode, Ideas for Us Executive Director Clayton Lewis Ferrara sits down with Derek Demeter, the Planetarium Director at Seminole State College in Central Florida. They discuss the general programming of the planetarium and how we can better approach our understanding of nighttime light sources and light pollution in relation to nocturnal wildlife. You can email us at contactideasforus.org with your comments, feedback, and questions. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the links in the show notes. Support this podcast and our environmental action projects by donating or becoming a member at ideasforus.org memberships. Hope you enjoy the show.
1: All right, everybody. Uh, This is Clayton Lewis-Ferrara. I am the Executive Director of Ideas for Us. It is wonderful to be here for another official Ideas podcast. Today, we've got a guest who's truly out of this world, uh, as you will find. Uh, Mr. Derek Demeter is joining us today. And Derek, please introduce yourself. Let us know who you are and what you do.
2: All right. Thank you, Clayton. I really appreciate you uh, having me on here today. My name is Derek Demeter. I'm the Planetarium Director at the Emil Bueller planetarium at Seminole State College just north of Orlando um, over in Lake Mary Sanford but we pretty much uh, you know we pretty much have uh, programs for pretty much everybody in Central Florida we're kind of the planetarium for the Orlando area so we service uh, Seminole Orange, Lake, Volusia, Osceola, even Brevard now Um, so we pretty much uh, stay busy and we try to influence and provide uh, a view of the night sky for everybody here in the Central Florida area.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's awesome that we have a local planetarium. I mean, how cool is that? There, there are so many cities that don't have that, or they have a giant one that's maybe inaccessible, uh, you know, for for people right. to, to to really use often. So, I love that. Well, uh, thanks for being here. You know, I think let's just jump right into uh, some some you know big picture stuff, and it's the fact that you know. The night sky and the universe uh, is something that's been giving context to people for a long time. And, uh, you know, I always remember growing up and being fascinated by chances when I got to see the night sky, maybe seeing sea turtles come up uh, and nest on the beach and things like that. I I imagine most people that come into your planetarium uh, are interacting with the night sky, maybe for the first time through animations and things that you're uh, you know, showing and, and really getting the vastness of that. Um, so maybe just talk a little bit about how you interact with people on the daily concerning space.
2: Yeah, so the nice thing about the planetarium is we have several different types of technologies that we offer. One of them is our traditional classic star projector. So we have a machine from that was put in in 19, uh, 1987. So... Quite a while, uh, but it still does a really great job. It's all analog. It's all run off of, of wheels and, and gears and things like that. So it's quite mechanical. It's something like you'd see in some, you know, fantasy movie or something uh, where you know you have these two large spherical objects that move around and project the stars. It's really cool, and people just when they see that, they just are enthralled by what it is. Now, the star projector is really one of the things that we really like to do when we do our classical night sky programs with that projector is we start off. We have a LED cove light system that surrounds the dome where people look up and they see the stars. And that LED cove light system, we can, we can coordinate it to where it would look like the light pollution from central Florida. So mm. when people come in, they start this, we start the show, we start off the light pollution a sky that most people are normally used to seeing here in Orlando area, where when you look up and they see, you know, maybe a few dozen stars, right? And then about midway through the show, we say, okay, let's go ahead and turn off the light pollution. And what we do is we turn off those lights and all of a sudden, kabam, it just transforms into this just flood of starlight. And people, everybody, there's been, rarely anybody that just doesn't go, Oh my gosh! Or wow! Or just some type of just immense and emotion. It evokes something that just makes you feel like, wow, we're losing something. Um, And I think it's very powerful in the planetarium is that we can simulate that. You know, we can take you out. You don't need to go hours and hours away from the city to see a star like star. You know, a night sky like that. We can go somewhere. You know, in the comfort of a room and show you that. The other technology we have is we have uh, full-dome videotape capabilities, so we have the ability to project pretty much anything you want up on the dome because it has a special geometry that, that kind of warps the image on the dome. So we take people on tours of the universe. We look at actual data visualization. We look at science data. And, and for example, we just did a program, a virtual program on climate science. We actually got to look at some of the climate data uh, above the Earth's surface and show how the atmosphere is changing and and how we're, we're affecting. We're able to simulate how energy transfers from the Earth out back into space. So we have the ability to not just look at the sky, but we have the ability to really, truly connect people to the science that's happening in the universe today.
1: Let's talk about that. I mean, it's it's amazing. I think that we're definitely losing something by the lack of of seeing the night sky. It's right. definitely having an impact on animal life and nocturnal animal behavior. I think it even goes as deep as, you know, we're we're kind of taken out of our place in the universe and our connection to this much much bigger picture oh, yeah. uh, than what's not just going on in our own lives, but even going on in our planet and beyond. Um, you know, light pollution is a big deal. And, you know it's something that cities are, are grappling with t- today. There's technological solutions as ways of, of trying to thwart it for sure. And um, you know I, I think that it's definitely something that we need to advance. Um, what is the reaction of people you know when you maybe talk about some of these things, do you have people asking about what they can do to, to change the course of, of this in their own cities?
2: So obviously the problem with a lot of this stuff, regardless of light pollution or climate is some people feel helpless. They feel like, oh, well, this is a bigger issue than me. But what I like to tell people is I, I usually start off with something hyper local with them. Like say, you know, a lot of us have a lot of, especially up in Lake Mary Sanford, there's a lot more, you know, develop a lot more of those, those, those neighborhoods, like, you know, the, not, not like just a, we you know, like a homeowner association kind of neighborhoods. And I say, you know, one of the things you can do is, you know, maybe maybe you could go to one of those Homeowner Association meetings, or maybe you can even uh, run to become somebody in the Homeowner Association and maybe work on, you know, seeing how we can make our lighting ordinances a little bit better. Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting is a lot of people get really t- annoyed with noise ordinances, right? People like, to, you know, people playing loud music late at night. And I say, well, what about light though? You know, for example, uh, the other day, or not the other day, uh, last couple of years there and my next door neighbor had this really massive floodlight and it was going into my bedroom.
1: <laughs> no.
2: And, 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 and just casually, I, I met up with him and he, he didn't realize what he, what it was doing, what he was doing. But I said, Hey, you know, I just want to let you know, man, that, that light is uh, really bright. And i you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time sleeping is, is there a chance that, you know, maybe we can redirect the light? And I started kind of lecturing him, not lecturing him, because that's the, I don't like the, the, the term lecture, but I, I discussed with him the, um, the implications of having bright light in, 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 your, in your room. And he re- didn't realize what he was doing. I think a lot of people don't realize that light can be as, as evasive as noise. Um, and, um, and as soon as he turned off that light, I was able to sleep again. I think the, the human body has evolved to have darkness. Um, mm-hmm. and we need to remind ourselves that being in a lit environment all the time can disrupt your, um, your ability. And when I tell people too, I'm like, do you a favor? If you have, if you have a light near your house, put some of those dark shaded blinds or those, those cut out or the, the blackout, uh, you know, uh, curtains and see if you can see how your sleep schedule is try to get as dark as possible in your bedroom um and also try to make it as quiet as possible and it's amazing how quick you'll fall asleep it'll be amazing how much better your sleep quality will be um and so i think um i think once people start realizing the need for darkness i think that hopefully they'll become more apparent that it isn't just an issue with the sky It's an issue with our health. It's an issue with a lot of things. And then I can talk all about security issues. I can talk about, you know, economical issues too, but in reality, you know, think about it just from your quality of life first. And hopefully by anecdotes, by people kind of go and say, Hey, I've been noticing I sleep a lot better with less light. Maybe, maybe we don't need all this light at night. That's really is a wasting a lot of energy and B not good for our health. You know? So I think, that's a good way to start off and then kind of maybe see if you can in, 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 you know, kind of get some people in your local neighborhood influenced by it and then hopefully that kind of spreads like wildfire. More and more people start talking about it because you can go to governments, you can tell them, hey, we, we need new lights, but you really have to kind of start at a local level first and kind of build, a, build this kind of trend and hopefully people will start listening at the government level.
1: Absolutely. I mean, again, these these are things that a lot of people don't think about. I mean, for me, it started just as a a hobby and and a habit, right, rather, where I would turn out uh, all the lights around my house at night for plants, insects, nocturnal animals, right? I wanted to give them a break. Right, because they're bombarded by lights constantly. It's even something that I'm sure people, if you look, you'll notice. But if you see streetlights, sometimes they're growing or sometimes they're right up against trees. And the trees will grow, uh, you know, in kind of a much uh, less dense part near the light. Uh, And they'll actually start to grow in the other direction, trying to escape away from that light that's maybe constantly on at night. Um, And you know it's just so important for plants and animals to have this kind of break,
2: exactly, so one of the things that we did at the college, uh thankfully, uh we have a new facilities director at our college that's very interested in sustainability we're actually I'm actually part of the sustainability uh, committee at the college now, and so that we also have a sustainability uh manager at the college, so they're becoming much more aware of these things. And one of the things that I initiated with this new facilities director is we used to have these really horrible globe lights, big, you know, big ball lights that just shine everywhere. They're just horrible. And I asked him, I said, well, we're going to use this as a teaching tool that we can install full cutoff lights. Basically what a full cutoff light means for those that are listening um, is that basically they're like shoeboxes. They have they're shielded on the sides and on the top and all the light goes down to where it needs to the ground. And so we got all these new lights installed around the planetarium with these new shoebox type lights. The best part was once that happened, you'll like this play, I started seeing barred owls again. I started hmm. seeing um I started seeing other nocturnal life start to emerge. Uh different bugs, I haven't seen moths. I saw started seeing Luna moths around the campus. Wow. I started seeing all these creatures that normally depend on darkness start to emerge just by changing the direction of the light. The plants started to bloom better, the trees above those globe lights are actually starting to spread out better, Uh, grass is growing better. I mean, it's just crazy how just directing a little bit of light in the right way can impact uh, the quality of life in, in in all aspects.
1: And I think people who wanna locally talk about this or organize about it, right? I think one of the common, uh, common things that they'll get said to them, right, is that, well, it's not safe if we don't have lights, right? right. People equate light with safety. I know I have found, uh, you know, certainly growing up, you know, around, uh, you know, even farmland, cattle land in South Florida, right, uh, dark woods, you step foot onto someone's property, and all of a sudden, a motion sensor floodlight goes on. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought how much better that is, because it, uh, it surprises everybody, right? Every, everyone immediately knows that they can be seen, and you use motion sensors for it, so that uh, you know for small animals or insects and plants, you don't have this light on all the time, right? and that there are these solutions out there.
2: Yeah, motion sensor lights are very good, and there's even motions in their lights that have are are full cut off or directed. Um, LED yeah. lights as well have made a huge change um, with the direction of light. Uh, interestingly, too, uh, going back to safety, um, people at first thought I was kind of weird, and well, I mean they, they know I'm weird because I'm the, the space guy in the uh, neighborhood, but. I actually use nothing but red light at night. So um, mm-hmm. I actually changed my hallway. I have a two-story house. And so the hallway, the light goes up the stairs and then into my bedroom is all red light. Um, and um, at night, let's say, you know, my wife or myself have to get up and we have to go downstairs to turn on this red light. We don't kill our, our night vision. For those that are listening, have you ever noticed you've gone to the bathroom late at night and flick on that really bright light and then all of a sudden you turn off you can't see a thing? So if we were to incorporate, you know, longer wavelengths of light, red, orange, maybe a little hint of yellow, that actually goes a long way with our human eye and makes it actually safer to see at night. So you don't need this just oppressive bright light in your eyes. Uh, But back to what you said about the motion light. Yeah, use it when you need it. There's no reason why we need to have this light on all the time. And like you said, Clay, it's perfect. If you're concerned about a, a person coming into your neighborhood or your house you just turn off, the the light goes boom on for a second. That scares you, and that scares the other person. That startles them. But remember, criminals need light, all right? They can't just, right. you know, if it's pitch black, they're not going to see where your doorknob is or your keyhole or whatever it is or window. They're going to need light. They're going to be using flashlights. you are probably going to be using other things. That's going to be more suspicious than anything. So I think that people's notion of of light is, is a feeling of safety. We're diurnal creatures naturally, right? We we we, we are hack. You know, we still have these parts of our brain that are wired from our evolution that well, we're safe safe in the in the light, not in the dark. Dark was a scary time. Predators like mountain, like you know, saber toothed cats and things like that. That we much better than we do at night. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know. So you know. I think there's just it's that same kind of. I think it's kind of. We you probably could talk about the biology of fear of snakes. Like why are we afraid of snakes? When you know. Of course. Uh, but it probably comes from this just adaptation in our brains that kind of give you know that's lingered on during the process of evolution. Same thing with light. You know, we just think light equals safety, so we have these big, giant, bright lights. But in reality, we live in a world where we don't need all that light. You know, we don't need all light. We are just a safe. Or if we do need light, we need it directed, providing a clean view of what we want to see, but also not glare right in our eyes or be, you know. So there's a lot of solutions out now that can really, really help. But yeah, like you said, motion sensor lights are a great way of increasing security. Another thing, too, you can get is infrared lights. Uh, for example, security cameras now, like closed CCTVs or closed close, uh uh, cabled, um, uh, TVs, um, are, uh, a lot of them are infrared. So, you know, that's actually even better. Now, of course, there's some animals that, that, um, can sense infrared as well. So I know <laughs> there's always, there's never a clean solution to the case other than just turning it all off, but you know, it's still much better than, um, having these big giant bright lights on all the time.
1: Well, I love your, uh, your comment about what you do is a solution with the red light. You know, that brings me back to literally thousands of nights on the beach doing sea turtle surveys and having red headlamps. And uh, the red headlamps were much better for our eyes on the beach at night. Uh, And, you know, we're told the animal can't see it at all. So the turtle has no idea that uh, you know here we are uh, tagging it or measuring its shell or counting the eggs that are coming out of it or taking a blood sample or whatever. It thinks it's happening in normal pitch black darkness, um, which is certainly important for for lowering stress on the animal. So, man, I, I mean, just I mean almost every evening, right? I'll flip on a switch or something uh, and and blast my eyes, uh, you know, from night one thing when I have the time or the, the ability to do so, to slow down the pace of life, if I ever get a chance to read by candlelight, uh, I always love that way more than reading by, you know, normal
2: uh, uh, LED or, or, or something like that. It's a great, that's a great point, Chloe, that you mentioned that. Actually, that's, that's a really good thing. For example, in our bedroom, um, we use nothing but very warm light. We're talking, so there's a temperature scale for light Uh, So for those that are listening here, there's, there's a difference. You have daylight, which is about 6,000 Kelvin and Kelvin is the temperature scale that we use to measure the temperature output of these lights. So that's the temperature scale we use. And most people are used to Fahrenheit or even Celsius, but Kelvin is a, is a, is a temperature scale that we use for, especially very hot or very extreme temperatures. So 6,000 is daylight. We're talking when the sun is directly at noon when you have the most sunlight output. So like right now, for example, this would be what we've considered daylight. Then you have like a bright white, which is kind of between 4,000 to 3,500 Kelvin. It's a little bit softer. When I say softer, I mean, it's not as blue. So pure daylight is basically white light, but sometimes the LEDs, cheaper ones, they tend to be a little bit bluer, but daylight should be pure white, pure white, because that's the color of our sun. Believe it or not, the color of our sun is white. Uh, and uh, if you were to actually look at the sun with your eyes right now, which you should not do, but if you could, it would be white, not orange or red or anything like that, because that normally people see the sun when it's sunsetting. So they just attribute that to being the color of the sun, but it's not the case. So, the, uh, so then you got soft white, which is like 2,300 Kelvin, which is to 3,000 Kelvin, which is a very nice, like you said, candlelit type light, very warm light in our eyes. Uh, there's photoreceptors in our brains that daylight means it's middle of the day. You should be up and at it. Uh, the uh, the warm light, like you're talking about candlelight, our brains are thinking, okay, it's getting closer to nighttime. It's time for us to – we're getting less out, light output in our eyes. It's softer for our eyes, helpful for our eyes, and it's time to go to sleep. So it actually helps you fall asleep better. If you're in a – if you have a TV in your bedroom and you're watching it and it's full blast brightness, your brain's going to think it's daylight. And it's going right. to go to sleep. So so one of the things you can do around your house is think strategically. For example, in the kitchen, I have white light, bright light, because I want to be active. I want to be alert. I want to see what I'm seeing when I'm cooking. Uh, Over by the TV, uh, I have a little bit of a bright white, not 100% daylight, but enough to keep me awake and keep me alert. But when it comes to my bedroom and places I know I want to relax and, and eventually fall asleep, I don't want to use... Uh, very uh, either daylight or bright. I want to use something very warm, something that's going to help soothe me, relax me. So, you think about the type of light we're adding. Um, um, and for example, um, uh, uh, Chris Castro with, uh, with, the, with the city of Orlando, he was telling me that they're using bright white for lights at, on the highway because it helps keep uh, people alert when they're driving. So, uh, but at the same time, We also have to be mindful of that as well because it helps alert us, but we also have animals that want to go to sleep too. So we have to also think about how we place the light and it doesn't obstruct with other animals that are needing it. So we're, we're slowly learning that. So that, yeah, the type of color of light can affect how certain things respond as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, for, for those of us who, who, who've, you know, have memories of public school uh, in the '80s and '90s uh, and early '00s. I think we can all remember fluorescent light bulbs yeah. in uh, in classrooms, right? And how it, it was designed to very much so keep you awake uh, and uh, and to 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 keep people from feeling sleepy by having this kind of light blasting uh, even in the classroom in the evenings, uh, you know, and, and things like that. You know, for me, it's it's important that um, you know these these topics are discussed more because creating an environment that allows nature to be nature and to have wildlife continue their natural life cycles, whether that's breeding behavior or egg laying behavior or or, or hibernation, right? Whoever knows what it may be. Um, making sure that we have that happening as much as we still can and not just in the most remote nature preserves in the middle of nowhere where it's totally dark. If a city is trying to be more sustainable, to build sustainably, to create parks that are of value to wildlife and people, light has to be a consideration because you want it to be safe at night but you also don't want to banish night completely.
2: Yeah, so a lot of the national parks I've, I've visited over the years have done a really good job at that. So, for example, they have, um, especially with LED technology, LED has really changed the the invention of how we do light. Because what's really great about LEDs is you actually can alter the light color um, over time. So, for example, one of the things you can do is um, you could, uh, some of the national parks I've visited, what they have is they have uh, yellow lights or red lights that turn on at night, so in their parking lots and things like that. So during the uh, during a certain period of time, they switch to those colors. Um, so in the future, what would be really neat in cities is to, you know, maybe after sunset, when, when you have mostly people that are out between, you know, usually by midnight, most people are asleep. Most people, you know, there's occasionally people that work or there are those, you know, people that go to clubs, nightclubs, things like that. But most people, I would say that... Academics. <laughs> I would say that majority of the people, astronomers, yeah, I mean, I'm up at three hours a night. But most people um, are not up around midnight. So we could look at potentially either A, thinking about wet areas don't need light. And if they do, maybe we can either A, switch the light to a certain percentage. This is another thing you can do with LEDs. Is you can actually dim the lights. You, know, you can put steppers in them, and you can actually dim them at a certain peak. So let's say at midnight, those lights in that parking lot should only be at maybe fifty percent, opposed to a hundred percent. Or maybe you can switch the color of the of the of the wavelength of light. So let's say at midnight you change the wavelength of light from being uh, bright white to being yellow or even orange, just to kind of provide that uh, resource for the animals that can that won't have to be affected by the light as much, uh, but at the same time, maintaining a bright enough environment. But remember, as we said earlier with red light, the longer wavelengths of light, like orange, red, and so on, are better for a human eye to see at night. We actually see better with yellow, orange, and red. So later at night, if you're more concerned about safety, security guards will be able to actually see people farther away with yellow light than they would with white light. Because it's just it penetrates through mist and fog here in Florida. We deal with uh, dew points. We deal with excess uh, moisture and, uh, later in the evening. So if you use yellow light or, or orange or red light at night, it, like post midnight, when you have excess of water vapor in the atmosphere, it actually makes it easier for that light to disperse through the atmosphere, making it easier for that light to be illuminating the ground. So. Again, these are things that, you know, using science and knowledge, you know, and also will help, again, with, with animals. Um, so, you know, the advent of LED technology, as it gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, we're going to be able to do some really incredible things to how we deal with light. So soon we can, kind of like if you look at the buildings in Orlando, you know, they can change the color of the buildings and things like that. Those are things we can actually integrate into streetlights, you know. So these are, these are things that um, could be looked at in the future.
1: Absolutely. How how do you think uh, how do you think people can communicate this to the decision makers, the locally elected officials, uh, even to companies or apartment complexes? Say someone lives in an apartment complex and they want to see these kinds of changes made. What do you think is the best way for someone to to broach these conversations?
2: So it's kind of funny because as an astronomer. You would think that my number one goal for light pollution abatement is astronomy. But believe it or not, when it comes to the general public, that's my least thing I talk about because it's a cake and eat it too kind of situation. If this is fixed, then the whole night sky thing will be fixed anyways. The most, the three most important things that humans really, the majority of people care about when it comes to uh, lighting is, is it, can I see it at night? Is it safe? Will it cost me a lot of money to do this? And, um, and how does it affect me health wise? How does it affect me and, and my quality of life? The most important one is money. And at the end of the day, it all boils down to money. So if you're presenting this to say a, a city council or a, a county or even state or whatever, the bottom line is they wanna know, is this gonna be a lot, lot is this gonna be expensive? And the answer is upfront, maybe. Because I think with the advent of LED technology, it's getting cheaper, but back to even five years ago, this would have, been, would have been realistic, it would have been way too expensive to do these things. But I think as we're developing new technologies and resources, now with the advent of solar energy where you can charge things up during the day and you can run these things off of solar power, um, things are changing a lot. So the answer is maybe in the sense that it could be a, it's more expensive upfront, but the long-term is it's gonna save you a lot of money. So it might be, it's kind of like uh, investing in in, in, in something and, sure. and letting it grow over time. It's going to get, it's going to be really cheap. And, you know, LEDs have a longer shelf life. Uh, if you're running these LEDs at 50% or even a different color, even red, did you know? So if you had a headlamp and you put three AAA batteries in it, if you run it on red light, it will last you four or five days with it completely on. If you hmm. did that with bright white light, it only lasts a few hours. So So if you did something like that, where you switched your color wavelengths to later at night, you're actually putting less power output in the lights. You're actually saving energy. So at the end of the day is you're saving money and all that. So that's the number one thing I recommend people do is look at the economic impact of the community. Because at the end of the day, that's that's what they mostly care about is how is this going to be? Can we afford it? Is this practical? And then the next thing would be most important is safety. Again, there's, it's just sometimes it's hard to get somebody to believe that less light is actually safer. But one of the things you can do is you can take a picture of yourself next to one of these big, bright lights, and then take a picture of, a, of, a, of another place where there's good lights and show just how easier it is for your eyes to see at night. The other thing that I recommend to do is, and we've done this at the college a few times, is maybe work. And here's the thing. A lot of these city councilmen and women, people that work in the city council, work during the day, right? How many of these people actually work after 5 p.m.? So when they install these lights, how many of them are actually seeing these lights in action? So one of the things you can do is you can provide, well, maybe we're gonna host a night walk. We're gonna take you to these, these locations and we're gonna show you the lights and we're gonna show you the difference. Sometimes seeing is believing. I've had a lot of people change their mind about light pollution when they come to the planetarium and they see the difference in the light. And then they actually see the full cutoff lights. They're like, wow, this is so easy to see at night. What'd you do? We just changed the lights. So sometimes seeing seeing is believing for a lot of people, especially people who are skeptic. So think about maybe hosting a night walk in your neighborhood. Um, Say, hey, we're gonna have a local night walk or maybe you're in the city of Orlando and say, we're gonna host a night walk. you guys." You can join us for it. We'll walk around. We'll we'll look at some areas that can be improved and uh, maybe invite some of the the important people that make those decisions. And if they they show up, that'd be awesome. Um, But also if you go to these meetings, show them examples of good lighting versus bad lighting. And so safety is a very important thing. And uh, and economics is a very important thing. I think those are the two things you want to stick with, at least with trying to Persuade somebody to help make those. Now, of course, the environmental thing is very important. For example, if you're working with a group like, say, Ideas or the Sierra Club or any of those organizations that care very consciously about nature, you know you need, you need to know your audience too. So it's it's also important to talk about that. Um, but uh, really, at the same time, it, it's again a cake and eat it too, a win-win situation for everyone involved. Whatever audience you're talking to, it's going to impact that other audience. So if your goal like me is to help preserve the night sky. It's going to, in turn, help you play with, 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 the, with, with animals and, 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 and protecting our, 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 spe- our, our animals on earth. So it's a win-win, really, for everyone involved, how you communicate. You just got to know your audience, I think, is the most important thing.
1: And I think it comes in phases too of of this cultural shift. Hopefully, it, you know, people who use a smart device, right? There's now night night mode, right, on their smart device as a way of not hurting their eyes and changing that spectrum, uh, you know, of the of the light that they're experiencing. You know, hopefully, our listeners today will will consider looking at uh, different kinds of even smart LED bulbs that allow them to. To choose the wavelength of light that it's putting out to make a more warm color, uh, you know, in their bedrooms and in their bathrooms for for use at night, and that then trickles out into now they want to see their community like that, right? right? And and they want to see, uh, you know, maybe on on streets and things, certainly in residential areas, uh, utilizing uh, motion sensors that have warm lights uh, and, and things like that. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit now, just to pivot a bit, um, about just what are some interesting things that that come from, uh, you know, this this time period that we're in right now of COVID nineteen that you're excited about. There have been a lot of changes that have happened. I know in the environmental world, people are talking about the change to the environment now that. Uh, both light pollution and also carbon emissions, uh, especially from uh, planes uh, and, and aviation you know have been so decreased it's noticeable. you know you see cities like uh, Jakarta or LA um, or uh, uh, Bangladesh um, and Kathmandu, Nepal uh, that you know have clear skies for the first wow. time in <laughs> 60, 70, 80 years. So um, I'd love to just hear some some thoughts uh, that, that you have about that and, and what you're excited to learn from this time.
2: You know I, that's the thing is that you know I, 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 it, I, I, I'm susceptible to anxiety, so for me, when this all started it was it was, really, uh, it was really scary, but at the same time, I like to think like you know there's a lot of good that's happening um, uh, people are are really showing care, they're also being more considerate of the world. I'm, I haven't seen so many people on bicycles, <laughs> just that alone. And I, and I, and I was talking to my wife about this the other day saying, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be, I like to think that there are more people going using their bicycles to go pick up groceries and things like that. And I like to think that maybe once people do it and go, this is actually not bad. There hopefully are going to be more people utilizing some of our great bike trails that we have available to us. You know, here in Seminole County, we have a great cross seminal trail that connects a lot of different cities and areas. And I actually use that now to go and commute to, uh, to the grocery store and things like that. And it's, it, it saves me a little time to, you know, uh, to go to, uh, you know, get some food and stuff like that. So I, I like to think that people are starting to realize that they don't necessarily need to use their car as much. Um, and in an in instance, they may not necessarily have to, you know, the fact that, um, I'm also noticing um, there's been some releases uh, from NASA that our lighting at night is increasing, or excuse me, decreasing, decreasing, getting lower. And what I've also noticed, I don't know how, how about you play, but I've noticed that I've seen a lot more birds. I've seen bunny rabbits in my yard that I've never seen. Mm-hmm. In my sure. Yeah, you know, I've, I've seen just life is starting to kind of come back. Um, animals that I just normally have never seen in my neighborhood are now showing up. And I think a lot of it is the earth is kind of healing in a way. I don't don't like to, I'm not one to personify the earth, but at the same time, you know, the earth is healing. One of the best, this is going to sound kind of silly, but one of the best things I've heard from this is that sometimes you have to be sick to feel better or Mm. get sick to feel better. Sometimes you need this very, very intense moment in your life to make you realize what is really valuable in your life. I think most people are realizing that just going up for a walk is just as important as going to uh, some, you know, very, very expensive you know, thing or whatever. It, you know, I think I like to believe that some people after all this are going to see the value and the importance of keeping, taking care of the planet and seeing the quality of the, yeah, like you said, the quality of water on the West Coast right now without all the cruises going on, it's immaculate. Uh, I, I have a friend of mine who, took it, who does a lot of video on the Gulf Coast near Tampa. And he says that he's never seen so many stingrays. He's never seen so. There's been. He said he saw about forty or fifty sea turtles, green turtles, in the water. The clarity is sometimes twenty to thirty feet. Uh, it's incredible the water quality. I was over in the the Space Coast. I do a lot of kayaking now because it's a great way to social distance while also enjoying nature. Of course. And the water is just unbelievable. It's just super clear. It, it's just. It all this stuff is really. How fast it's changing, too. It's only been what, a month or two since yeah. we've really been doing this. And uh, it's amazing. And uh, it just, I think it can show people that you can make a difference, you know. But I'm afraid that, you know, it might, people might just see this as a short term thing and go back to their old ways. But I like to believe that this could be an opportunity to have, like you said earlier, data that we like a time when we really close things down for a brief moment in time and actually have hardcore data that shows that we've done this and this has shown this. We have, like you said, in, in, in Nepal, you can see the Himalayas. <laughs> uh, right. In India, you can see in northern India, you can see uh, the Himalayas which they've never seen in a long, long time. So I think in, in LA, you can see the San Gabriel's very, very you know, easily now. So it's just amazing how we. I like to think that maybe if we're going to reopen, maybe we can think about... Well, if we reopen, maybe there's another way we can reopen. Maybe we can start considering these certain things and all that. But when it turns to light pollution, maybe the fact that we're, we're able to see the stars. And some of my friends have said that they notice they see a few more stars than normal in their sky. And um, I've noticed that here in Lake Mary, where I live, is, uh, which, for those that are listening, is north of Orlando, a little bit further away from the main city. I'm starting to see a little bit more detail in the night sky. I think it also is the sky quality is better, you have less smog and things like that in the atmosphere. Um, so this could be a very, very important thing for humanity to kind of reassess, You know, well we, we're actually doing some good stuff.
1: I mean, I'm excited to, to of course, nature having the chance to rest, right? And, and to not be under the constant assault of internal combustion engines, right, it is a big deal. Um, you know, I, I've been struck by how quiet it is at night, uh, without the, the sound of, of cars. I live in an, in urban core, right? So I'm hearing cars all night and now all of a sudden to go to silence, you know, let alone, uh, you know, uh, crickets or, or other nocturnal animals, right? And being able to hear that and, and pay attention to it, that's been a big deal, um, but I'm excited for some of the data because we've been monitoring climate emissions, we've been monitoring air quality, uh, all of these kinds of things before this period, during this period, and now as many countries uh, are hopefully on the tail end of of the worst of the outbreak, um, they'll see the emissions ramp back up. Mm. It will provide definitive proof of humanity's impact on carbon emissions, on the planet, uh, on all of the different aspects of air quality, um, because it really goes to show how things have taken on a state of healing. Uh, you know, during this time period, it's it's a very very big deal, and uh, air pollution is something that really gets overlooked a lot. Uh, you know, so many people have childhood asthma. Uh, you know, air pollution is a major cause of Uh, Children being born prematurely, uh, especially in uh, cities that have, you know, tremendous multi-million person populations where, uh, you know, cars and emission standards aren't uh, in place and you get a lot of um, just really dirty particulate matter. Uh, you know, from motorcycles and and you know things that uh, you know even in 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 some American cities, people only experience from maybe a noisy lawnmower or a leaf blower or a weed whacker, right? But imagine some an engine like that on on a million uh, you know little dirt bikes, right, through through the streets. It's it's a lot of pollution and it shortens people's lifespans and changes their quality of life. And now we're going to have. Real cemented data on that, and I hope that this will help cause a, a change in that uh, that these these um, you know these changes are seen as positive and something that we should continue to fight for.
2: The other thing I, I, I stress too to people is that you know while I, I'm a very huge advocate of social distancing and making sure that people don't go out in large populations. It's very important that people take this time to take a walk in the woods, mm-hmm. uh, breathe in some uh, of, uh, of fresh air, because I've noticed that being quarantined at home, being locked in my house with the AC running, I've been, I've been developing allergies uh, in my own home because I'm not getting the fresh air. As soon as I get my bike and I go for a bike ride or even just walking in some of the nearby uh, preserves, my allergies go away. And it's interesting that it's the opposite effect sometimes too. We don't want to, even though we want to stay at home, we want to go outside your backyard or just sit and just sit outside in your front yard with a book, just be outside, breathe in that natural air, get the sunlight on your face. There's been evidence shows that having uh, doing physical work as well as getting vitamin, you know, the sunlight on you helps your immune system. So it's important that, you know, even though we are right now, it's encouraged to stay at home also make sure that you expose yourself to the natural world because that's what we are really you know so having that fresh air right now this could be good for our bodies you know uh, and I think if more people go outside and they breathe that fresh air and they just feel better like you said lack of asthma and things like that that may yeah that may be influence people saying you know what? I've never felt this better in my life I mean my stress I mean yeah, it's a stressful time but honestly I've noticed that I've been able to slow down a little bit more. I've been, stress is not as bad. My health is better. So, I mean, this also might change the way that we work as well. And the way that we see ourselves as you know, you know, this is a bad thing. There are a lot of people that are dying and we don't want that to happen. And, you know, that's why we're staying at home to make sure that we can, you know, reduce the exposure. But at the same time, there could be some. There could be a very nice light at the end of the tunnel with this, and we have the ability to do that.
1: Well, I mean, opportunities <clears throat> for the public in mass to uh, really value green spaces in their community are not common, and this is one that I think all of us are thrown into. And um, you know, the the level of outdoor recreation or hiking, and hopefully all of this is done responsibly, but. People need to get out of their homes, and they need to uh, spend some time in nature, and the more secluded they can be, the better, of course, because it lessens the risk of infection uh, tremendously. I have gone on some epic hikes that I have finally had the time to uh, and wouldn't have been able to take two, three, four hours uh, in order to do and to get into some very remote areas where there's no one else around me even close. And, you know, things like that are greatly appreciated. I'm hoping that people fight for green park space. They fight for complete streets and walkability uh, and, uh, and a renewed birth of localism uh to come from all of this and supporting local businesses. I mean yeah. many many people have been talking about how you know if you if you're fortunate enough to be getting some kind of stimulus check or something from the federal government here in the United States, make sure that you spend that in your local community, right? Don't buy a bunch of stuff from other countries halfway across the world uh, online. Uh, spend that money on your local mom and pop, whether it's a restaurant or a, a a clothing used clothing store or 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 whatever it may be, but buy local
2: yeah no that, uh, my wife and I have been doing that we we're supporting our local restaurants we're doing takeout and uh you know we um you know our our stimulus money we've had to make some home repairs, so we spent some money on some local uh repair companies to help build you know, help them out afloat during this time. And uh, it's, yeah, you know, and and I think people, I think there is that shared community. I never, you know, this is going to be crazy. I've been in this neighborhood for a couple of years. Now I have met more neighbors (laughs) this past month than I have the entire time I've lived here. And I think it's really nice. I think it's nice that we're able to finally connect with our neighbors and get to know each other. And I think that too is important. I've been able to, I set up my telescope in my front yard a few times and done some really cool stuff. And I've seen all these neighbors walk around and say what I'm doing. And I've been sharing to the next door app, which is a really cool app. If you, that's another way I've been also talking about light pollution is I've been actually posting stuff on next door, which is a great app for your local neighborhood. And there are a lot of people asking questions. I got people emailing me saying I want to buy a telescope, but you know, I noticed that I have a light in my front yard. How do I fix that? Again, it's just, it, there are so many little things I've I just realized that that's actually another way that you could uh, contribute is, you know, think about using technology the right way, you know, getting attached to like a next door type program where you can get to know your neighbors. And the more the fact that when people know who you are, they're more willing to listen. They're not going to listen to some person that they don't know. But if they know that, hey, there's Derek, the astronomy guy that lives in my neighborhood, he's friendly, he's bringing his telescope for my children and things like that, they're going to listen to you more. And so I think you start with that local level and get connected with these people. And this is a great time to do that. Get to know your neighbors, do it in, a, in a, obviously a, a, a social distance way. Don't you know go shake their hand or anything like that. But you know, get to meet them, say hello, wave your hand. Wave, you know, give them the Vulcan live long and prosper thing, right? Uh, yeah. just, just acknowledge them and talk to them. And I think that having that community, having that uh, emotional bond with somebody is one of the most powerful things you can do and establish a, a thing for change. I really do.
1: And you know, people who are lonely, you know, maybe it's because they've lost touch with people that they've had in their lives from the past. But lo and behold, most of us live in communities where we're surrounded by other people that we don't know and don't talk to. And this is a great opportunity to do that because we need to stick together locally. Uh, When it comes down to it, the internet is wonderful. It, It 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 it. reaches across time and space. But, uh, you know, we are, we are physical creatures and those around us matter. And we need to strengthen those bonds locally as, as communities, for sure, especially to get through this and what we're facing with climate change. Um, because as difficult as this has been, it is uh, not even uh, uh, comparable to the, the carnage economic, social and environmental that we're facing if climate change is left unchecked. And uh, this slowdown, hopefully, can uh, you know, be be a, a time in human history where we learn, uh, you know, to slow down the pace of things a bit, and to really treasure what matters. So, Absolutely. Derek, thank you so much. I know we're reaching, uh, you know, the end of our time here. I want to make sure that people know how to contact you, how to learn more about the planetarium. And uh, I'd love for you to also share, uh, you know, anything else you'd like to uh, before we part ways on this conversation.
2: Yeah, so uh, you can visit our website at www.seminolestate.edu slash planet. That's the uh, slash that goes from the top to bottom from the right to left. <laughs> I guess that's backslash, I guess. um, I I always get the two mixed up. Um, But uh, anyways, slash planet. Um, You can also uh, like us on our Facebook page at Emma Bueller Planetarium. We do virtual programs right now. We're not open to the public at the moment, um, but we are doing virtual programs. We have a virtual public show uh, at 7 p.m. that we go Facebook live on. Um, at on Thursdays, and we also have a virtual star party we do on Fridays at 9 p.m. So you can tune into those and enjoy some time outside of this planet. And uh, of course, also uh, we we do programs too, talking about current trends as well. So uh, again, uh, join us. We're also looking at potentially doing some other smaller uh, Facebook Live things as well. And we also have a YouTube page. You can look us up at Seminal Planet is our YouTube page. Um, so at the meantime, we're hoping to get reopened, uh, maybe in the fall limited qualities right now. We're actually, I was in a meeting earlier today about, uh, what, what it looks like to reopen. So right now we're still not open and we're not sure when we're going to open, but when we do, we are going to have some good practices and we'll keep you all posted when that happens
1: well Derek thank you so much Uh, really appreciate it wonderful conversation with you today and you know we definitely look forward to having you back on the show uh, as time goes on to talk about this and all other uh, kinds of great uh, planetary cosmos topics so
2: thank you so much my pleasure thank you Clay for having me out
0: Thanks for listening to the official Ideas for Us podcast. Learn more about our environmental action projects by visiting ideasforus.org and stay in the loop by subscribing to our monthly newsletter. Support this podcast and our environmental action projects by donating or becoming an individual or CSR member today at ideasforus.org slash memberships. This episode has been made possible by all our valued members. Together, we are advancing environmental action worldwide. Please share this podcast with your friends and loved ones and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed it. In the meantime, stay tuned to hear what amazing guests we'll be featuring in future episodes. We'll see you next time on the official Ideas for Us podcast.